Colossians chapter 2 in your Bible this morning, please. Colossians chapter 2. And if you find it, stand with me, please, as we read God's Word together. Colossians chapter number 2. Over in your New Testament, if you're a new Christian, way over there somewhere. Colossians chapter number 2. And I'm going to only read one verse of Scripture today, and it's verse 8. It's the text I used 11 weeks ago when we began the series here on reality, making sense of a crazy world. Reality, making sense of a crazy world. It is a warning written by the Apostle Paul to the church members at Colossae. Verse 8, beware lest any man spoil you. Now, that's the old English spoil, like the king who would capture the spoils of battle. So it's really being captured by someone. And Paul warns us, beware lest you be captured through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men. In other words, the common beliefs of our world around us. Watch out. There are teachings, there are beliefs that will capture you after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. So what he's really saying is we've got to keep absolutely focused upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And what he's saying is you need to be wary and be cautious as a Christian as to what you buy into Because when you buy into some things, then it's going to change the way you interpret all of life. Thank you. You may be seated. For 11 weeks now, as I said, I've been preaching on this subject, reality, making sense of a crazy world. And after 11 weeks of teaching you through this, today I'm going to simply make some applications. I'm going to take everything that we've been learning now for 11 weeks And I want to apply it to the big issues of our day, the things that are making the headlines in the newspapers and that you hear on the news. If you watch, and I hope you do, you keep up with what is happening in current events. Now, Christianity, as I've made the point a number of times, Christianity is the one true narrative or the one true story of God's dealings with men. Christianity is the true, the real history that has happened down through the ages. If you take a class in history at some university or college or a public high school, they're not going to give much credence to the Bible. And yet today, we as believers, we believe this is true history, the true narrative of God's dealings with men. I share some things I've shared with you before because I want to reiterate them. Chuck Colson, I read one of his books and it got me thinking, and out of that came this series. Colson said, quote, Christianity is more than a religion, more than a system of ethical or moral guidelines, or Christianity is even more than a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Christianity is a worldview. And over and over, I've explained to you this idea of a worldview. A worldview is the way we look at and interpret the events of life as they occur. 
Something happens this week. I read about it in the paper. I see it on the television, and I interpret that. I have a view of that, and I look at it through the glasses of either a Christian worldview or some other worldview. There's a man I often quote. He was a tremendous influence in my formative days of ministry. His name was Francis Schaeffer. Francis Schaeffer, along the same line, said, and I quote, Christianity is the only system that explains what is. Christianity is the only system of thought on the planet that explains what is. Now, other things may explain part of it, but Christianity explains all of it, what is. And one of the greatest quotes ever of C.S. Lewis about Christianity. He said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun is risen, not only because I see it, but because of it, I can see everything else. Isn't that a powerful quote? I believe in Christianity for the same reason that I believe in the sun. Not only can I see it, but by it I can see everything else. And so I've been likening the Christian worldview to a puzzle. And I've said if you frame in a puzzle and get the outside pieces, the main pieces, then you can fill in the rest of it without a great deal of trouble. And the main pieces of the Christian puzzle, we began with God. God created it all. And then we go to man, and then man sinned. And then God sent the Lord Jesus Christ to the earth to be the payment for our sins. And that necessitated the cross. And after the cross, of course, Jesus did not remain dead. Jesus rose from the grave, and the resurrection is a key piece of our puzzle. And then in the future, God is going to restore the heaven and the earth to its original state, just like it was when he created it, just like it was before man fell and sin entered into the world. And so that's the puzzle right there. We're, we've completed the pieces that I'm going to share with you. First, God, and then man. Sin, Jesus, cross, resurrection, restoration. If you understand those seven pieces of the puzzle, you will understand biblical Christianity. Now, during this time, I've also referred to the ultimate questions, and that's really the subject today. The ultimate questions, and what do I mean by ultimate questions? I mean the questions that everybody who is a thinker has to ask themselves somewhere on their journey. Those questions are questions like, where did I come from? Who am I? What is the purpose of life? Why is there so much evil and suffering and sin in the universe? Where am I going after this life is over? ultimate questions, the big, big questions of life. And I submit to you today that Christianity answers those, and that's the rest of the message today. Number one, the first question, where did I come from? That's, we call that the question of origin, the issue of our origin. Where did we come from? And now we're applying that worldview that we've been talking about for 11 weeks 
All the information I've given you, now we're going to answer those basic and most important of all questions. Where did I come from? But I'm going to combine that one with another question. That's the question of our identity. Who am I? And I want to take those together because they somewhat overlap. Okay? So who am I? Ask yourself that question today. Do you know who you are in any real meaningful sense of the word? Who am I and where did I come from? What is my origin? How did I ever get here and, 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 and who am I? Now, the answers to that are pretty simple. It really boils down to just two or three different options. Was I created, the Christian worldview is, was I created by the hands of an almighty God, God from the dust of the earth? Or what's the other option? Well, I'm a child of the apes. I'm a child of the apes. The prevailing view today, of course, is that one, the latter. The prevailing view today is that I'm a product of evolution, that there was no personal being, no great intelligence that planned and then brought into being the world. The prevailing view today is that there was a blind, random series of events, some cosmic accident. Nobody can really tell me what happened. Nobody can tell me where the first molecule came from. You can go and you can begin to ask the professors, well, what happened before that? Where did that come from? And you drive them back and finally they have to admit, I don't know where the first little bit of matter or the first little spark of energy came from. And if you drive, keep driving them, they have to say that everything came from nothing. And when you be get to that point, it's beginning to break down. Man's weaknesses in his arguments begin to show up because we're not the product of a blind, random series of events, some cosmic accident that produced this entire universe. Adrian Rogers said that's like believing there was an explosion in a printing press and out popped a Webster's Dictionary. And that would make just as much sense, wouldn't it? No, we are the product of Almighty God who took his hands and made us from the dust of the earth and breathed unto, uh, into us the breath of life and we became living souls different and distinct from any other species of life on the planet. Now, we believe that. That's a biblical worldview as opposed to the evolutionary worldview. Go to the book of Genesis with me today, chapter number one, if you will, just as far back as you can go there. I'll wait for some of you to find the book of Genesis here. <laughs> okay. I think you got it, don't you? Chapter one. And here's what we believe about our origin. Genesis chapter one and verse number 26, God said, let us make man in our, connoting the Trinity, our image after our likeness and let them, mankind, have dominion, rule, authority over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, the cattle and all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. And so God created man in his own image and the image of God created he, him, male and female created he, them. Oh, what words, what meaning there is there. So because of our biblical worldview that we are the products of the hand of God, 
Then, ladies and gentlemen, today we believe that all human life is sacred. All human life is sacred. From the womb to the tomb, life is sacred. And today, human life is sacred because it has God's image stamped upon it. Now, what does a Christian mean when we argue our case before the world and apologetic for Christianity? What do we mean when we say we're made in the image of God? Well, God is a trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Man is a trinity, body, soul, spirit, the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians. And what is the image of God that I bear in my body, soul, and spirit? It's things like this, intelligence, conscience. Human beings have a conscience. No animal life has a conscience. Human beings are able to communicate at a very high level. Other forms of life don't communicate at a high level. To have the image of God means there is a self-awareness. Somebody said the day that a rock knows it's a rock is no longer a rock. It has no self-consciousness. It doesn't know that it's a rock. But I know that I'm a man. I know that I'm a human being. I know that I bear the image of God. I know that intelligence and self-awareness and conscience all those abilities that God have given me, the ability to communicate and, with, and talk with others of my kind, that's the image of God. And that makes every human life sacred. Who am I? I'm made in the image of God and my life is sacred. It belongs to Him. Now, that biblical worldview shapes my belief in that. And there are two major issues then that I can give you a test on. I can tell immediately whether you really have a biblical worldview. The first is abortion. The second is euthanasia. What we call the life issues, issues that his organization is very, very interested in, the church has to be interested in. Because since 1972, when nine black-robed judges... Men like we are, men, human beings like we are. But they decided that the traditional, historic, biblical view of abortion, of human life, of the sacredness of human life was in fact no longer valid. And they ruled that the growing little baby in the womb of the mother was nothing but a mass of cells. And she could have it removed by a doctor just as easily as she could if it were a cancer growing in her body. And since that day, a holocaust has been occurring across America. 50, almost 60 million human beings have been ripped out of their mother's wombs and exterminated. And if we really had a biblical worldview, the 70 million people who claim to be Christians, we'd storm every capital in America and we'd end that stuff. We'd have a revolution. How do you stand by and watch 70 million, 60 million people and their life extinguished and you treat them like they're nothing more than a mass of cancer cells? 
Why does America stand by and why are we silent about it? Because we've been sold a bill of goods by education and media and entertainment. Because we love our comfort. And I tell you, it'd break your heart if you stop and think about it. A whole generation of people, 60 million people, gone. We wonder why there's not enough people to pay the Social Security. Just think that one through. We'd have 70 more million people contributing, or 60 60 million more people contributing if we hadn't taken them out of their mother's wombs. Just two weeks ago, Tom Perez, the new chairman of the Democratic National Committee, said, you can no longer be a Democrat if you don't believe in abortion. And so the country's deeply divided. Let me add something else. You can't really be a Christian with a biblical worldview and believe in abortion. You can rationalize it and whatever you may want. But God's word said, in the big 10, he said, thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit murder. Why is murder so bad? Because murder smashes the image of God in a human being. Whether it be in the womb or whether you be 40 or whether you be 80, life is sacred. And now we have another trend developing in America today. We call it euthanasia, the good death. That's what that literally means. And we've moved from now the right to die to the duty to die. And in Europe, there's especially a great pressure on older people that they be willing to be euthanized because there's such a cost to society. You heard about the death panels in Obamacare where a group of people, after you had spent so much on Medi- after Medicare and Medicaid had spent so much on you, and a panel of people would get together and review your case, and they might say, we're not going to allow you to expend any more money. Euthanasia. Because, why is there euthanasia? Because we've lost our biblical worldview. And now we feel like we have the right, somebody has the right to terminate life, whether it be by giving a shot or withdrawing all treatment and all nutrition, however we choose to do it. And now several states, seven or eight of our states, have legalized suicide, assisted suicide. We can order some apparatus with poison and whatever and hook it up or take a pill, and we can end our lives. Oh, God, help us. I read what the prophets said about Israel. There's nothing that could be said about Israel that couldn't be said about America today. In ancient Israel, the prophet got on them for killing the babies. They were offering their babies to Moloch and Baal in the fire. We don't do that. We offer our babies in the operating room. God help us. Who am I? I'm made in the image of God. 
And my life is sacred, and your life is sacred, and every life is sacred. From the most handicapped person to the oldest person to the baby in the womb, whatever status they may have, God says life is sacred. Where did I come from? God made me. Who am I? I'm made in his image. None of those questions. Why am I here? If you look there in Genesis 1.28, again, it says that we're to be fruitful and to multiply and we're to replenish the earth. Many theologians call this the first great commission. You know the great commission of the Lord Jesus, go into all the world and preach the gospel and baptize and form churches and so on. But this is the, a great commission given to all of humankind even before that. Be fruitful, multiply, have dominion, replenish the earth, Genesis 1 and 28. You know, as I read that, I thought, you can't do that by yourself. (laughs) I can't do that alone, can I? So that implies some other things, and in Genesis chapter 2, it goes into them. It implies things like marriage. I need a partner to be able to reproduce and to multiply and be fruitful and replenish the earth. It implies sexuality which is the basis of the reproduction, of course. It implies family. And I I read there in my Bible in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27, it says, and God created them, male and female created them. Jesus repeated that in Matthew chapter 19. Male and female, God created them. So sexuality then is implied between the male and the female, In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24, it says there, once we're married, we're to become one flesh. One flesh. It's obviously not talking about a spiritual union. One flesh. It's talking about a fleshly union, which means a sexual union, a physical union. And out of that, we are to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Everything you need to know about sex in some ways is really explained right there in the biblical text in Genesis chapter 1, 2. Man, has America not corrupted that today? Now, what am I preaching on? I'm applying 11 weeks of teaching you about a biblical worldview. Now we're saying we're going to take the issues of the day and we're going to look at them in the light of that. And America has so corrupted God's wonderful gifts of sexuality. You know, sex is a wonderful thing, and you know what? God's the one who thunked it up. It was the Lord who created sex. He's not against sex, for heaven's sake. But America's taken that and corrupted it and made it dirty and vile and filthy. And in America today, we accept fornication. A man in this church said to me, after he found out his son was being immoral, Well, preacher, boys will be boys. A Christian in a fundamental Baptist church is telling me it's the norm. Don't sweat it, preacher. You see, that man doesn't have a biblical worldview. Fornication, adultery, divorce, homosexuality, pornography. I can go on. It's a I need a bath talking about it. It's so vile today. And America's accepted, accepted it because America has forsaken our biblical worldview. 
And, and, and I'll hear from people who are watching on television. They'll blow me out of the water. You're a preacher of hate. You're against everything. No, I'm for everything God is for, and I'm against everything God is against. And the two issues dominating our public discourse this morning. I'm going to test your worldview again right now. Homosexuality. You see, we took these wonderful gifts, this teaching on marriage, a male and a female become one flesh, and they reproduce, and they're fruitful, and they replenish the earth, and they have dominion over God's creation, and we have so corrupted it now. We've said, oh, two people of the same sex can get married now. where we looked at it as perversion of God's plan, we say, people have a right to love anybody they want. People have a right to love anyone they want to love. And our culture has embraced this. I'm reading through my Bible on my Bible reading plan, and I came to 1 Kings chapter 14. You want to turn there? First Kings chapter number 14, and it's talking about a king there named Rehoboam, and he became so wicked that God had him removed. And uh, big thing is in verse 23, they built all these images and groves and even worshiped their children. I worshiped, offered their children in their pagan worship. And then look at what it says in verse 24. Why God overthrew Rehoboam's reign, there were also sodomites in the land. Sodomites, named after that city, Sodom, that God destroyed because of this sin. Sodomites, link it down in the rest of the verse. See the word abomination? God always calls it an abomination. Now, this is, a, this is a biblical worldview that we're looking at here this morning. And I turn over to the book of Romans, and I go to chapter number one in the book of Romans, and it's the definitive passage on this that our culture today so hates. Romans chapter 1 and verse number 26, for this cause God gave them up to vile affections. See, he's not very complimentary of their affection, is he? Even their women did change the natural use of their bodies into that which is against nature. God calls it an abomination in Kings. He calls it against nature in Romans 1. And likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the women burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly, evil, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. And down in verse 28, and God gave them over to a reprobate, reprobate mind. A mind that is so filthy and so absolutely controlled by evil that it cannot, light can't penetrate it. Is there any hope for the homosexual? Absolutely. The same gospel, we don't want to make it so different from every other sin 
that we put it in a special category. Mark Buxton's our missionary sitting back here over in the Philippines. In the Philippines, they have a very strange custom. If a family has two or three little boys or two or three little girls, and they want, let's say they have three boys, but they want a girl, and so the fourth child is a boy, and they want a girl. You know what they do? They start treating the child as if he is a girl. They dress the little boy in girl's clothes. They give him a girl's name. They, uh, they treat him in every way like a girl. And you know what? He takes on those characteristics. And one of those transvestites who'd been treated like that by his parents came to a church there in the Philippines. He called himself Barbie. He wore beautiful dresses and hose and high heel shoes and makeup and had plucked eyebrows and long hair and everybody they knew it was a man but he called himself a woman and he was a cross dresser because he had been brought up that way and he thought of himself as a girl and he began to hear the gospel and he began to find out that Jesus Christ loved him so much that he died on the cross for his sins Long story short, he came to Christ. He became saved. He took off his high heels and began to dress like what he was. And today, he is married and has a family and is a missionary in Cambodia preaching the gospel in a Baptist church. Now, there's nothing that God can't do. And there's nothing no sin that God cannot forgive. So don't write off everybody. And so don't say that we're filled with hate. I'm not preaching hate today. I'm preaching hope. The most hopeless people I've ever talked to were people who were homosexuals, angry and blaming it on God. No, Jesus Christ can change you and give you hope. That's another part of the biblical worldview, is it not? There's hope for everybody. There's hope for every soul because God made us in his image and we've gone far from it. But you can come back home. You can come to the cross today. I'd also like to spend some time talking about gender issues, the transsexual movement, which I just referred to. That's the T in LGBT. Always before we have understood it was science that if I'm a male, I have Every cell in my body is an XY. Every cell in my wife's body is a, what is it, a YY or an XX. I never wanted to refer to my wife as XX. But anyhow, she's an XX. And you know what? I can have a sex change operation, call myself by a different name, put on my makeup, cross-dress, Every cell in my body is still X, Y. And you can quit calling me Bruce and start calling me Caitlin, but I'm still X, Y. <laughs> I'm still X, Y. And the whole country can say, it's wonderful. Oh, what courage. But every... Every doctor would examine you will say, X, Y. You spent a lot of money for nothing. 
Oh, my heart breaks for people like that. It really does. Male and female created he them. And there's not any others. Not any other. We're not gender benders. And it's become madness, folks. It's madness. Over here, I got a piece of paper issued by a state agency here in South Carolina. The glossary of LGBTQ. They've added that on. Now, Q for queer has now become a very acceptable term. LBGTQ terminology. It has five pages of things I'm supposed to remember to call people like, don't call them a him or a her, call them a sis. We're going, to reinvent the, we're going to reinvent the language for 1% of the people now. I could really wax warm on that, but I'm out of time. Question of sin and evil. Why did God allow sin and evil? The biblical worldview says that God desired people who would love him. And you see, love is meaningless without the capacity to not love as well. If I'm only a computer who only can love, my love means nothing. Love means something when I could say, I don't want to love you, but I love you voluntarily. And man made the choice not to love the Lord with all of his heart. And listen to me quickly, because I'm running short on time with all the material I have. But once, think with me now, once evil has entered into our culture, the only answer then is justice. Evil absolutely must be punished or it will never be eradicated. And so God has a threefold plan for getting rid of evil. And I talked to you about it last week. First, he would eradicate any future source of evil by dealing with Satan, Revelation chapter 20, where Satan will be thrown into hell for eternity ultimately. The second thing God did is he removed the sin that existed in our society by sending the Lord Jesus Christ to die on the cross, the place of justice where Almighty God punished my sin, yours, and the sins of every human being in the person of Jesus Christ on the cross who was there as our sacrifice. And then there, Jesus satisfied all of God's just demands and now God can extend mercy and love to any person. And thirdly, those who will ultimately willing re willingly reject Christ's payment will face God's justice. And then there's the question of destiny. The question, where am I going to be when this is over? And as a person made in the image of God, I have a soul. Listen very carefully to me. My soul is endless, dateless, Timeless, eternal, ever-living, never-dying. There was a time I did not exist. There will never be a time again when I do not exist. There is no such thing as a mere mortal. Every one of us have been given immortality. T.T. Martin, the great Baptist preacher of yesteryear, in his wonderful book, God's Plan with Men, said this, and please hear me. Where am I going when this is over? Here's the Christian answer. 
the bare possibility that there is a heaven and a hell, that the soul can never cease to exist and that Jesus is the real Savior are enough to cause every doubting one to give the most earnest consideration to any evidence bearing on these questions and to undertake the most careful investigation of anything that promises to lead to certainty. No one has ever made it certain that there is no future existence. No one has ever proven that there is no heaven or hell and that Jesus is not the Savior. The most that a skeptic can do is to produce doubt. And if there is a heaven and a hell and Jesus truly is the Savior, then there is everything to be gained by finding it out and everything to be lost by neglecting to find out. So important are these issues that you should be willing to take years, if need be, to make a thorough investigation of the matter. John chapter 7 and verse 17, the Lord Jesus said, If any man will do his will, and the AV says, or willeth to do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God. In other words, if you really want to know God, Jesus Christ said, the Lord is going to help you find him. And once you get that settled, you know where you came from. God made me from the dust of the earth. I know who I am. God's image is stamped upon my being and will be there until the day I die. I know the purpose of my life is to have a family and to bring those people to know Christ and to get the gospel to the world. It's not to indulge my own sexual lust. I know where I'm going when I pass away, and I know how God has dealt with the problem of human sin and evil, and I know that someday it'll all be eradicated, and the universe will be restored, and we'll be able to live in peace and harmony with him forever and ever, the Christian worldview. Al Mohler said, we're called to be people of truth. Even when the truth is not popular, and it's not, and even when the truth is being denied by the culture around us, Christians have found themselves in this position before, and we will find ourselves in this position again. But God's truth has not changed, and the Bible has not changed, and the gospel of Jesus Christ has not changed, and our church's mission has not changed. And Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Bow your head in prayer, please.